The sun is a god. The moon and dawn and dusk are all goddesses. Their names? Elios, Selene, Eos, and the Hesperids. The Greeks almost universally believed in these beings until around 450 BC. In that year, a Greek thinker named Anaxagoras concluded that the sun was a burning stone. Even then, most Greeks scoffed at his conclusions. The sun, the moon, sunrise, and sunset, all celestial phenomena, obviously sky gods, and all were under the command of Zeus and Hera. The sun, a burning stone? Ridiculous. The sun was a god named Helios. Those who are not Greek add an H to the god's name and refer to him today as Helios. As recently as 2,500 years ago, no one questioned his existence. But within centuries, belief in Helios had disappeared. Were Greek philosophers responsible? Probably. Today we consider many of them to have been the first scientists as they tried to make sense of the world. Increasingly, they viewed the sun as a celestial phenomenon, not as a god in a golden chariot. This is episode 27 of Garner's Greek Mythology. We have listeners from 131 countries and counting. Welcome to everyone, wherever you are. I'm your host, mythologist, and best-selling author Patrick Garner. These stories about the gods have been told for thousands of years, but now there are new stories that are just as compelling. If you haven't done so already, check out my books about the gods in the contemporary world. You can read more about them and about this podcast at patrickgarnerbooks.com. And as always, this podcast focuses on one thing, Greek gods, of course. They, like you, are here now. As the old Greek world fell to Rome and the influence of Christianity, Helios and the sky gods were mocked, banished, and replaced with solemn church dogma. That is, until Nicholas Copernicus rediscovered the truth 1,600 years later. He affirmed the conclusions of the early Greeks. What were those? The planets revolved around the sun, not the sun around the earth. Rejecting the earth-centric articles of faith, and as a nod to the old Greek gods, he called his placement of planets heliocentric. Thus Helios had in a small way, come full circle. We, too, will now return to ancient Greece and put modern science aside. In old Greece, Helios, in his blazing chariot drawn by four golden stallions, is the indisputable sun god. His sisters are Selene, who we know as the moon, and Eos, who is the lovely dawn. Helios, Selene, and Eos were the children of Hyperion and Theae, both titans and therefore older than the Olympic gods. Helios was destined to become the sun god. He lived in a golden palace on the river Oceanus, 
which lay on the edge of the world east of Greece. He emerged from his palace each dawn, crowned in a fiery halo. He was greeted by Eos, known as the rosy-fingered goddess of dawn. Majestically, he rose on his chariot in an upward arc until noon, then gloriously descended into the western sky. At the end of his daily journey, he was met by the Hesperids, sisters of dusk, born from a union between Atlas and the primal goddess of night, Nyx. They had many duties, but one was to greet Helios with open arms. Once he arrived to their applause, he then descended into the circling river of Oceanus. The mighty river then carried him swiftly to his palace in the east. There, surrounded by his children, he celebrated his journeys with great feasts and dancing, waiting triumphantly for the next morning to begin. Helios, like many of the gods, was forever young. He dressed in flowing purple robes, was beardless and crowned with a golden halo. In Greek art, his four steeds were often depicted as winged. A Homeric hymn to Helios states, Helios rides his chariot, he shines upon men and deathless gods, and piercingly he gazes with his eyes from his golden helmet. Bright rays beam dazzlingly from him, and his bright locks stream gracefully from the temples of his head. A rich, fine-spun garment glows upon his body and flutters in the wind, and stallions carry him. Then, when he stays his golden yoke chariot and horses, he rests there upon the highest point of heaven until he marvelously drives them down again through heavens to Oceanus. Helios and his children and his children's children had an unmistakable characteristic that differentiated them from other gods. Their eyes radiated light. They were never mistaken for an Olympian. Apollonius, writing in the 3rd century BC, said, All the children of Helios were easy to recognize, even from a distance, by their flashing eyes which shot out rays of golden light. One of those children was the infamous Circe, who healed the warrior Odysseus with her eyes. Helios had a better life than his sisters, particularly his sister Eos. Her life took a turn for the worse when the goddess Aphrodite caught her dallying with the war god Ares. It was all a bit messy, as Aphrodite herself was simultaneously involved with Ares. Aphrodite punished Eos cruelly, condemning her to fall in love with a succession of mortals. As a consequence, and much to her dismay, Eos fell in and out of love with endless men. Her longest relationship was with a Trojan prince named Tithonus. 
Madly in love with him and sick of shuttling from man to man, Eos petitioned Zeus to make Tithonus immortal. But she forgot to ask that Tithonus be granted eternal youth like her own. Zeus granted exactly and only what she asked. In time, the immortal prince turned into an old, old man. One afternoon, Eos discovered that Zeus had been up to his tricks. The thunder god had turned Tithonus into a dry, gray grasshopper. Eos cried as she watched him hop, sadly, from point to point. For Eos, Aphrodite's curse went on. Now, notice an aside that Eos plays a key role in my second novel, Cycladic Girls. There she befriends and then betrays the great goddess. In Seleni, what do we know of the moon goddess? She's described as beautiful with long silver wings. The ancient writer Aeschylus in one of his plays calls her the Eye of Night. He describes her as moving across the dark sky in a horse-drawn chariot. Selene had greater luck in love than Eos. One morning she spotted a shepherd and fell in love. She, like Eos, pleaded with Zeus to grant her lover immortality. Unlike Eos, she reminded Zeus to make him forever young. Zeus granted her wish, and afterwards it was said that on nights when Selene was not moving among the stars, she was consorting with him in her getaway on Mount Lydia. Both sisters had children from their liaisons, but Eos suffered from hers. Eos' son Memnon fought for the wrong side in the Trojan War. Zeus favored the Greeks, and Memnon had sided with the Trojans. Greater gods than Eos were moving the pieces. Her son was killed by Greece's greatest warrior, Achilles. Eos was brokenhearted while Selene, hanging serenely in the sky, watched without shedding a tear. The offspring of the more fortunate Selene included daughters called Horai, who became known as the Four Seasons. The Horai, in addition to making the constellations revolve from season to season, accompanied Helios on his daily path across the sky. Some said they helped him navigate, but Helios had arced across the sky long before their birth. As we view Eos and Selene, it must be said that they were marginal players. Of the sky gods, Helios always loomed greater in the minds of the Greeks. When mortals were awake, he gave them heat. Without his golden light, plants and animals would not exist. But Helios also served in an unusual role. Because he was always overhead, he functioned as a watchman. Some might say a spy. His eyes were everywhere as he passed over the earth each day. It's fair to think of Helios as an ancient satellite. One programmed to track everyone's activities. Not even the gods were immune. He's the one who spotted Aphrodite and Ares in an open field. 
and shared the information with Aphrodite's husband. That said, Helios was as petty as Aphrodite when displeased. For instance, the Greek warrior Odysseus crossed the Sangazi, tried to navigate home after the Trojan War. He had left Helios's daughter Circe after spending a year with her, but that's not why he was punished. It was for eating Helios's cows and sheep. Homer writes, Circe warns Odysseus, you will reach a certain island. There you will find grazing cows and fat flocks of sheep. They are Helios's. In each herd and in each flock there are fifty beasts. No births increase them, no deaths diminish them, as they, like Helios, are immortal. If you leave these unharmed, if you set your mind only on return, you may, all of you, still reach Ithaca, though with much misery. Of course, Odysseus's starving men are unable to resist slaughtering some of the cows and sheep. The men feast at length, and the all-seeing Helios discovers the theft and contacts Zeus. Helios demands revenge, saying that if there is no atonement, he will descend to Hades and withdraw forever his glorious light from the world. Zeus responds, Soon enough I will strike their ship with white-hot thunderbolts and shatter it and shiver it into the sea. Within moments, to the men's bewilderment, the dead sheep and cattle begin to move, bleeding and bellowing and reforming themselves in the Helios's golden animals. Panicking, knowing this transformation can only be the work of some mighty god, the men fled to their ship and launched into the sea. But, as Circe predicted, Zeus sent a tempest and destroyed the ship with a thunderbolt. Helios was satisfied. Not to make a pun, but Helios wasn't always on top of the world. He had numerous daughters and a beloved son, Phaethon. Like Eos, he suffered at times because of his offspring. Once the son, Phaethon, pleaded with him to drive his chariot. Zeus warned Helios that the boy was too young. He wouldn't be able to control the horses, but Helios could not resist the child. On a morning when Helios thought Zeus to be distracted, the sun god handed the boy the reins. Phaethon cracked his whip and rose upward like a rocket, but almost immediately he lost control. The sun plummeted, setting the earth afire. The green plains of Africa were scorched into desert and mortals for miles around charred black. Zeus watched it all. He caught the sun and set it back on course, and then, heartlessly, he struck down the careless boy with a thunderbolt. Seven of Phaethon's sisters gathered around his smoky grave. In their unrelenting grief, they cried tears of amber. Helios could not bring his son back to life. 
Instead, he turned the boy into a constellation that he named the Charioteer. Thus, he could immortalize him so that he would forever shine beside Selene in the night sky. Helios himself came to no fiery end. He didn't die as a mythic Greek hero. Instead, the light that he and his sisters gave out grew fainter and fainter. Their brilliance was steadily dimmed by philosophers and early scientists. Apollo, Artemis, Athena, Poseidon, and Aphrodite went on to pursue other things. But the sky gods, for all their radiance, lost relevance. They were brought down by mortals who, with a bit of mathematics and crude telescopes, discovered alternate explanations for celestial phenomena. And so as the new millennium began, Helios, the brightest of the old gods, no longer guided his horses through the skies of Greece. Join me for the next episode of Garner's Greek Mythology. If you love what you hear, be sure to visit patrickgarnerbooks.com or find me on Amazon. I assure you my novels about the Greek gods are as entertaining as my podcasts. And a great way to find out is to download my new Audible book, Homo Divinitus. You can get it at Amazon or Audible. And thanks for listening. This is your host, Patrick Garner. <laughs>